morning, everyone, and happy Father's Day. I'm so glad that you're here, that you've joined us. Um, my name is Thomas Pockovitz. I'm one of the elders here at Park Community Church, our Bridgeport campus. And um, me and Kenson, we, we lead the church here as elders. And obviously, I'm not up here very often, but part of that responsibility as elders is to bring the word, is to dive in it, to exegete and exhort, hopefully, for us to learn together. We're continuing in our series over the book of Judges. Last week, Rafe did a great job of introducing this. And uh, before we dive in, let's just start out with a word of prayer and ask that God be with us in this time. God, we just thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you so much for being that perfect father to each and every one of us. God, as we just uh, dive into your word and dive through this uh, story of Gideon, God, help us to see us in your story. Help us to see our weaknesses, our struggles, and God, help us to leave here changed. God, may you be working in me. May it be you who's speaking and not me. God, we just ask all these things in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever had that relationship that just seemed to work perfectly? I mean, it, there wasn't that much effort. It didn't take a lot of effort to try and see, oh, am I compatible? Is this going to work out? But everything kind of just worked together. It just clicked. Have you had that relationship before? I, I know I've had that experience. I can't explain now, I've had this relationship for over 10 years now. I can't explain, you know, exactly when it started happening, where it just started clicking. But at some point, everything just started working perfectly. It was wonderful. And I, and I want to introduce the, the relationship that I'm talking about is, of course, my shoes. These are my amazing New Balance 792s, ladies and gentlemen, 10 years old and still running. You can see these, yeah. Big baller wishes they had these bad boys. That's right, all right? Now you can see there's uh, a little bit of wear and tear on them. Uh, we got some holes on the side. Uh, we got pieces that are falling off. Uh, but man, I love these things. I had them back, all the way back into college. And I remember uh, they just fit perfectly. I didn't even have to tie them. They just, I just was able to slip on and, keep, and just run with everything that I've done. Now, Amanda doesn't allow me out in public with these anymore. But if you can look, they've got paint on them. I've done landscaping with them. If I'm doing car work, that's the shoes that I'm wearing. When I get the chance, I'm pulling out my 872s. And you know, uh, when you look at these, you're probably thinking the same thing that Amanda's thinking, is that they need to be thrown away. This stuff is garbage. There's better shoes out there. You're going to end up hurting yourself. But I choose to keep them because they mean something to me. They have this huge, long history of, every, of all these experiences that we've had. And although they have these massive flaws, I still haven't found a shoe that I tend to like more than those shoes. And when I look at them, I also think about our relationship with God. You know, how even though we have flaws, we have mistakes, God still loves us. He still chooses us. And you know what? Even with our errors and our holes, God still has a purpose for us as well. You know, he never seems 
to choose those tools that's the most accomplished. God never seems to pick out that guy who has everything polished or the most completed individual. But when God has a mission or a calling, he chooses the broken, the tattered, the incomplete to accomplish his will. God chooses the foolish to shame the wise, the weak to defeat the strong, and it's no different in our story today. Last week, Rafe introduced to us the, the concept of this series that we're going through, going through the book of Judges, this Old Testament book. And in the, to recap, if you missed it, Judges is the story of how the nation of Israel has come, they've come into the promised land, and now it's like, okay, we're here, what's next? And unfortunately, they start following into to this constant circle of errors, this cycle that's kind of a downward spiral. It starts with Israel being faithful, but then they stray away. They fall into sin and adultery. After that, Israel becomes enslaved by another nation. And of course, when they're enslaved and the occupancy is there, they cry out to the Lord asking for a redeemer. And God raises up for for them individuals, individuals that we call judges. Of course, Israel is delivered at that point. Everyone celebrates. They go back into serving the Lord, but only for a short while. And then they fall back into the same circle again of falling into sin and adultery. And it's and as we kind of read along in this, this book of Judges, we're going to find that the stories get worse and worse as time goes along. It, there, there's just more depravity as, as we continue in this cycle. And Rafe wonderfully illustrated how the real reason behind all of this is because the nation chose the path of compromise. Instead of standing up for their beliefs, instead of saying this is the one true God, when other gods and other idols came in, they decided they were going to bow the knee and tie the shoe. Well, we won't, we won't worship them, but we'll allow them to be here, rather than taking a stand. Yet, despite these circumstances and despite the brokenness of the system in place of Israel, God is still able to see his will accomplished. And this is clearly seen in our story. Before their kingship is established, Israel had all these leaders known as judges. And here we read about the judge Gideon. The cycle. To give a little context, the first 11 verses we didn't read of this chapter, we see the cycle already start. We see idolatry taking place rampant around the nation of Israel, and we see the Midianites, the nation, come up and begin to oppress the Israelites. During this time, Israel is just completely broken and are constantly being raided by these Midianites. And where they would come in, steal all of their goods, and then just leave. And that's where we meet Gideon. In our story, we see Gideon fail multiple times. Yet through it all, God continues to use him and build him up. The issue that we see with Gideon is that he views himself in the way that others have viewed him. And the way that others have told him. And we, and instead of what God sees... And God sees something different. You know, we believe so often what other people tell of us other than what God is telling us of who we are. You know, I can remember vividly growing up and just being 
hammered by being made fun of. I was, if you might imagine, I was a little bit taller than most of my class. And so because of that, my coordination was a little bit lacking. So I was just this tall, uncoordinated kid. I had these two huge front teeth. And so I still can remember people calling me beaver growing up and going through that experience of just being pushed, pushed down and being bullied. Now, what would happen if I chose to allow what other people said about me to define who I was? What would happen instead of allowing others to define me, I would allow my creator to define what he created me for? You know, Gideon as well needed to learn it was not the opinion of others, but the mission of God that should define you. Gideon failed in three different moments, and we're going to kind of dive into those. He was in the wrong place, he was doing something at the wrong time, and then he came in with the wrong attitude. The first one is he was in the wrong place. He was hiding in a wine press. Now, first, let's, let's read this as we kind of see. And look at verse 11 for me, with me. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrapin at Orpah, which belonged to Joas the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So here we get, see Gideon working with wheat, but in a place of hiding. I'm by no means an expert, but from what I understand, you know, wine presses are used for a single purpose, making wine, pressing down on the grapes. Wheat, on the other hand, usually gets put into bread at the threshing floor, and we don't see him there. What was Gideon doing here? He was avoiding the Midianites. He was in hiding. He was scared. He didn't want to be raided. It looks like an uh, this was almost a daily event if he's hiding in a wine press where the Midianites would come in and steal their goods. But the angel of the Lord meets Gideon where he is. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in life. God is going to meet you where you are at. You may be at your rope's end, feeling like you can't take another day in your workplace. God is going to meet you there. You may be struggling to figure out your purpose, trying to determine where you fit in this city, feeling so unsure about your place. God's going to meet you there. You may be feeling completely alone that God will meet you there. However, God doesn't leave you there. God takes you where you are and replaces it with where he wants you to be. You may be in the wrong place, not where God has intended you to be or what he has planned for you, but that doesn't mean he is not with you. Here we see Gideon is afraid, hiding in the wine press and avoiding the Midianites. Yet despite his worry, his fear, God approaches him. The angel of the Lord approaches him and the first proclamation he makes is, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Just imagine Gideon's reaction. The angel of the Lord comes and states immediately to Gideon who he was designed to be. He is not meant to be this man cowering in the wine press, but is meant to be the leader of Israel, breaking off the chains of Midianite occupancy. In one introduction, God speaks into the identity of Gideon as a person. 
God doesn't consider saving Israel at this point. Gideon doesn't consider saving Israel at this point because he doesn't believe he's capable of this. Despite this declaration, Gideon expresses his doubts. Listen to some of the questions he says. He says, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest clan in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. Gideon looks at himself similar to how others have looked at him. I'm sure how others have explained to him. I'm sure that his brothers and his cousins from his family's house has made it evidently clear that he's the weakest of the clan. Yet, what does God see? How can God possibly use him? As followers of God, God has big things planned for us. Similar to Gideon, he is looking at you and saying, the Lord is with you, O mighty man or woman of valor. Similar to Gideon, he has a plan for you, one that is larger than your current strength and abilities can handle. But it is not your strength that you're relying on. It is God's strength given to us through the amazing gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the reaction of Gideon, of, of the Lord, when he says, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. God doesn't look at Gideon and say, You know what? You have the strength on your own. You can do this. No, what God says is, I have the strength for the both of us. And I'm going to speak in for you. And God does that for, for us as well. In Ephesians, the third chapter, it proclaims this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in your inner being. We gain our strength from God that enables us to fulfill his calling for each one of our lives. You know, this is the same God who called a stuttering shepherd, Moses, to speak to a king. The same God who called a shepherd boy, David, to face off with the giant. Who called a refugee, Esther, to become queen of an empire. Who called a bunch of fishermen to be the leaders of the Christian movement. And who led a son of a carpenter to be the savior of the world. Our God is full of strength, and he is freely giving it to us. Gideon was called to do the strength, and you're being called as well. How can we not deny God empowering us with his strength? So Gideon failed. He was in the wrong place. He was, he was in the wine press. He was also at the wrong time. He went by night. Now that Gideon knows that he is, he is with God, God moves him in action. After his amazing experience with the angel of the Lord, that very night, Gideon has this vision from God, and he says, take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old, this is verse 25, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has. Cut it down, the Asherah that's beside it, and build an altar to the Lord that your God on the top of your stronghold here, and the stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a, as a burnt offering with the wood of the command of the Lord shall cut down. Now Gideon knows who he is 
knows the command of the Lord wants him to do, yet he still struggles with it because of his fear. We see him take some men and tear down the Asherah pole at night. Gideon is afraid of what others would think of him, how they might react to his uh, fanatical behavior. In the end, he was still worried that what others might think about his action. Now, last week, Rafe mentioned this. He is, it seems like Gideon is bending the knee, but tying his shoe. Gideon is obeying God, but not doing it in public where others might see him actually um, make this proclamation. Gideon wasn't called to do anything in hiding, but I think God wanted him to do this in plain sight. He wanted Gideon's actions to be an example for others to see as too often Israel had compromised and allowed these idols to be worshipped in, in their nation, even during these times of repentance. This very altar that he's tearing down belongs to Gideon's father. Gideon was well aware of the compromises that Israel was making to the Lord. And there is no place for God alongside false gods elsewhere. And Gideon tearing down his family's idol worship reflected this. Unfortunately, Gideon's actions reflected that instead of being concerned about what God thinks of his actions, he was still swayed by the public opinion that impacts our decisions as well. So often, our relationship with God, we're told, needs to be a private matter, something that we keep to ourselves. We flag this under, under the role of tolerance with our neighbors and with our family. However, God calls us to be radical and to be open about our relationship with him. You know, take for example, my relationship with Amanda. Can you imagine how it would be if I told her, you know what, we're going to go on this amazing date. Get ready for it. It's going to be this awesome time. I've spent weeks preparing it for for we get together, it's the night of the big date, I, I come, I said, you ready to go? We're actually going to stay home. We're going to have to eat here, we're not going to go out, no walk, no movies, no extra activities. The reason why is because I'm worried. Not so worried about, you know, her, but I'm worried about what others might think of me as they see me with her. Does that sound like a loving and adoring husband, as it should be? How would that make Amanda feel? Would she feel like, man, this, my husband loves me so much? Of course not. She would feel completely, absolutely rejected to think that I had, would have some sense of shame around being with her. Let's look at our relationship with God. How often is it? that we talk about how God is the most important relationship in our lives, yet so often we fail to publicly declare ourselves as followers of God under fear of what others might think about us, a fear about others considering us to be radical or too passionate about our relationship with God. Is God worthy of your public attendance? This isn't just something recent with our society and culture, but it's something that Gideon experienced himself thousands of years ago. This is not just a simple, I forget to bring up God in my conversations, but it's, I think it comes more of a heart issue. 
that we believe that our opinion of other people and what they think of us is more important than us sharing with them the news of Jesus Christ. I want them to think highly of me more than I want them to know Christ. The real question that we should be asking is, who is being glorified in our interactions around the world? With our friends, with our family, with our community, are you being glorified as being a good person or is God being glorified by his name being proclaimed? You know, it is essential that we share our faith with others. In Romans, the 10th chapter, verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When we confess and are open and honest about God and our convictions with others, we shed the light of Christ into the lives of others and allow them to experience this loving, passionate, relentless God who cares deeply for them as well. So here we see Gideon again. Wrong place, wrong time, and the last spot, spot that we see is we see him with the wrong attitude, questioning God. We find Gideon, um, after the altar situation is resolved, God, Gideon's father stands up and even defends his own son and allows Baal to speak for himself. Ironically, Baal never shows up. And because of that, the, that situation seems to fall to the wayside. But here come the Midianites. They come in in power. They're getting ready to do another raid. But let's see what, what happens with God. In verse 34, let's see what God chooses to do. But the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Abiezrites were called to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all Manasseh, and, all, and they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers to Asher, to Zebulun, to Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. I love the description of God working in Gideon here. The Lord clothed Gideon. The Hebrew phrasing of this makes it sound like Gideon is where, that God is wearing Gideon, almost like a jacket. And Gideon is empowered. He has the people of Manasseh start to gather around him, and he starts gathering other tribes as well of the nation of Israel, gathering them, getting ready for battle. He talks to God, but unfortunately, again, as opposed to just saying, all right, God, we know what we're supposed to do. We know the calling. Let's go and get this done. He decides to question, pleading for God for assurances of what to do. Look at his request in verse 36. Then Gideon said, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. So Gideon approaches God's plan with doubt. Are you, a, are you sure about this? Are you positive this time? It's, it's almost as if he forgot the earlier conversations that he had with the angel of the Lord, that he goes back to being frightened once again. But despite the attitude, this doesn't faze God with his plan or his ability to use Gideon. The next morning, Gideon wakes up to see exactly as he had requested. The fleece is soaked with dew, but the ground is dry. So it is clear at this point, right, right? I mean, he shouldn't need anything else. He's gotten his sign. 
No, Gideon comes back again. Listen to this in verse 39. Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just one more time. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the ground, uh, on the fleece only, but on the ground let there be dew. By this conversation, you could tell that Gideon is stepping a little bit too far. Oh, please don't get angry with me. Please don't get upset. I'm just going to ask again. But we see God as patient with being patient with Gideon. God understands, again, where Gideon is at and is gracious to work with him. Although not perfect, God is working with Gideon. As with Gideon, God is willing to be patient with you as well. So often we assume that, you know what, if I don't have it all together, if I'm not completely on board, if I don't have all the answers, that God can't possibly use me. But God is patient. In 2 Peter verse 3, 9, it says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you not wishing that anybody should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We are constantly a work in progress. We're never finished products of what God has in store for us. And God is choosing not perfection, but dependence. God doesn't need perfection. He needs dependence. God needs devotion to him in order for us to save, in order for us to be used by him. As a very famous speaker once said, every great work from God will require total dependence on God. I'm going to say that again. I know it's funny. Every great work from God will require total dependence on God. It's my man Kenson right there. All right. Although Gideon wasn't perfect, he was at least true to God's command and devoted to him even above his own family. For us, the amazing thing is that although Gideon shows us God uses us even when we are in the wrong place, doing, the wrong, doing things at the wrong time and with the wrong attitude, Jesus is the perfect example of obedience to God. You know, perfection isn't a requirement for us, and that's only because that Jesus has already fulfilled that requirement by being on the cross. He was at the right place, at the cross, standing in our place and taking on for us the wrath of God. He was at the right time, as the Bible states, for why we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And Jesus came with the right attitude, with the heart of a servant. For as we know from the book of Philippians, it says this, having the mind among yourselves, which is yours of Jesus Christ, who though being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to, to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Oh God, you know, although God used Gideon to help sa save Israel, Jesus is the greater Gideon. He is the one who helped conquer sin and the opportunity to have him indwelling and empowering us is available to each one of us today. Jesus is the better Gideon in every single way. Where Gideon struggled to find his identity, his God, Jesus knew exactly who he was, which is what drove 
his calling to save the world. So what does this mean for all of us? How is it that Gideon's story can help us today? I want, how can we make sure that we could be at the right place, at the right time, with the right attitude? I want to suggest two things to take away for you this morning. The first thing I want to take is immerse yourself in Christ. You know, back in college, I spent a whole summer at a church camp out in Colorado. And, and over that summer, there was one week that was actually basketball, was a basketball camp week. And I just remember for the whole week, day in and day out, we spent anywhere from six to 10 hours playing basketball, doing drills, defensive drills, shooting drills, dribbling, dri dribbling skills, ball handling. When we took breaks and we had meals around the meal, guess what we talked about? Basketball. When it was nighttime and we were all heading back to the dorms, the conversations was around basketball. It was nonstop basketball for a full week. And by the end of that week, I could tell that my skills were probably better than they had ever been. And the reason why is because I immersed myself in the subject. I was there day in and day out. Now, I would love to make the suggestion of let's all just move away. Let's all get together. Let's immerse ourselves in Christ and do nothing but talk about God 24-7. But that's not reality. None of us are, have that time and ability to just step away for weeks on end, months on end, and just immerse ourselves with Christ. So the question is, how can we do that? I know we don't, when you are walking down the road, or you're talking with a friend, are you thinking about God? Or are you thinking about something else? Let me ask you this, how many, what kind of books have you been reading lately? What kind of TV shows are you watching? Are they speaking into your life the identity of Christ or the identity that the world wants you to have? The music we listen to, the friends we hang out with, all of these things either bring us closer to God or they're pulling us away from the calling that he has for our lives. I'm not suggesting that immersion in Christ means separation from everything else but we can choose to immerse ourselves in God in the place that we're at, with our thoughts, with our minds, and what we're choosing to spend our time with. Not only does that help us find our identity with Christ, to know who we are, to know that we can be mighty men and women of valor, but it also helps us with our trust in God, that we don't have to question and pull out a fleece to ask for God's confirmation but we can trust God and what he's done because we spent so much time with him already. You know, the more you get to know somebody, the more you have the ability to trust them. So the first thing is just immerse yourself in Christ. The second thing that I would love for you to do is to lean into God's strength. You know, we, we discussed earlier the amazing concept that God not only gives you this calling, but he'll give you the strength to fulfill this. So how do we, you know, access this power? Is there some special code or incantation that we're supposed to have? No, I think we can accomplish this power when we choose to rely on him and the Holy Spirit that's working inside of us. And I, the best way that I think we can practice doing this is by choosing to intentionally lead in practices that you're naturally weak in. Let me say that again. 
intentionally lean into practices that you're naturally weak in. Let's say you struggle with talking to people on a regular basis, with being bold. You know what? Now is a great opportunity to start sharing your faith with others. If you were natural about it, if that just felt comfortable for you, chances are you might lean into your own natural ability, your own skills. But the fact that you don't have those skills, that you're concerned about it, that means that you can't rely on yourself. You've got to rely on something else. That causes you, forces you to rely on God. God, I know you're going to have to help me in this conversation because I'm definitely going to screw it up. God, please be with me. Let's say you struggle, you feel like you do, you're not a leader. You know what, I'm not, I don't lead people, people don't trust me, I, I can't do this. Maybe you should start saying, you know what, I want to start leading some of the discussions in my small group. Yeah, it's going to scare you to death. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I did this. Why did I sign up for this? You know what, that night, the prayer is going to be, God, you've got to show up. Because if you don't show up, nobody's going to leave this place knowing a single thing more than what they did coming. Are you relying on God in the areas of your life? Work, find out what are some things that you're weak in and force yourself to trust God. Sign up for those things. Relying on God in our weakness helps us to experience how God provides and enables us to grow in those areas as well. Once we learn to rely on God in our weakness, it becomes a lot easier for us to rely on God in our strengths as well. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says this. It says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Be made perfect by allowing God to use your weaknesses. You know, God is continually working for us. For me, I know this is evident in my role as a father. Uh, we talk about today being Father's Day, and Amanda can attest to this. One of my biggest fears grow, going through this experience is having a daughter that I was having to be responsible for. Having daughters scares me to death. And unfortunately, God is getting, well, not unfortunately, let me not say that. I don't want to get in trouble there. All right. God has amazingly given us two daughters, Abigail and Kyla. You know, to be, again, to be honest, when we were first having this experience, we, we got pregnant. First one, daughter. I was super worried. I was concerned. You, you know, I, I understand raising kids all by themselves. That's, I'm most concerned enough about that alone. But raising daughters, I thought, was just completely different. They're wonderful, but man, they just seem so much more difficult to raise than I think boys are. You know, girls constantly look to their fathers for that, for that approval, for affirmation. And I was like, oh my gosh, they're going to look at me? How am I going to deal with this? Not only this, but they look and they ask, am I beautiful? Am I worthy? And I, I can't even imagine the concern that I have as we start growing and start having these kids go to school. You know, girls, girls and guys, that's a whole concern in itself. But girls are usually mean to each other as well. Oh my goodness, some of the things that I've heard, guys, when, you're when you get mad at each other, you kind of end up just fighting, and then five minutes later, you can play video games. You kind of move on. Girls, man, 
grudges are there, and it just scares me. How am I supposed to deal with this with girls? And sure enough, here we are, not just with one, but with two daughters. And, you know, I, I'm already experiencing these situations which scare me to get death. After disciplining Abigail for not listening or for not doing something that she's supposed to be doing or catching her in the act, she's crying. And now we're hearing these conversations of, do you still love me, Daddy? How, how am I supposed to... Oh. How am I supposed to talk about this? How am I supposed to express? There's nothing that you can do that's going to change that. When she gets ready in the mornings and she picks out her own clothes, puts them on, conversation, Daddy, am I pretty this morning? How can I deal with this? I feel so weak in this. When we start dealing with these tough conversations of the experiences that she's going to go on with life, I'm unprepared. You know what I do? I trust in God that he has called me to do this. He has put me in the place, and I trust that him giving us two amazing children wasn't a mistake. This isn't an accident, but I'm called to be the father of two beautiful girls. Secondly, I lean on God's strength. There's going to be times where my patience is being pulled so thin, the only thing I can do is rely on God's strength. There are times when God, Abigail is experiencing the brokenness of our world and asks me questions that I don't have the answers to that I have to rely on God's strength to be there for me. I lean on God to be my example of what a father sh should be and what I want to be. And I allow his word to be working in me, to be working through me, and for him to be pressing into me to be the father that Kyla and Abigail need. I want to be in the right place. I want to be in the right time. And I want to have the right attitude for my daughters. Don't let fear drive you away from what God has called you to be. Know who you are in God. Realize that this is not a reliance on your own strength, but it's on God's strength. And make sure that you trust in the one being who has never failed, who will never leave you, and is excited about the path that he's laid out for your life. Let's pray. God, we do thank you so much that you have never failed us. God, when we look at all of these screw-ups and mistakes that Gideon made, God, you still used him. We're going to learn next week about how you used him to save an entire nation. And God, we know that we come to you this morning broken, screw-ups, mistakes left and right, and you're sitting there going, man, I could sure use you. God, thank you for not giving up on each one of us. Thank you so much for choosing us. God, may we choose to fully rely, complete dependence on you, that you will work in us and do a powerful and mighty work, that you have a plan for our lives. We trust that to you this morning. And God, we thank you so much for the example of Jesus Christ doing that for us on the cross. And it's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen. Amen.